0: This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephyr only on 101.9 High FM.
1: Did you know that there are less than 1,000 Bengal tigers left in the world? This astounding fact is according to a founder member and the director of the organization Race Against Extinction, Sharon Salomon. The organization focuses on conserving the world's endangered animals, particularly those facing extinction, mostly due to illegal wildlife trafficking. Sharon joins me now to tell me more. Sharon, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for having
1: me, Sharice. Sharon, the the numbers are staggering, Um, but to focus on Bengal tigers when we live in South Africa, seems they seem far away. (laughs) They are indeed far
0: away. Um, How I came to be focused on the tiger was kind of because I actually fell in love with one Um, and upon doing a lot of research around trafficking of animal body parts and other things that we were touching on in our NGO, um, what happens in the tiger trade is, is so horrific that it really struck a chord with all of us. Um, so then we started putting focus on it because actually it's the same global village and the same trafficking of body parts of all sorts of animals. It's the same industry. It's the same people when it comes to elephant tusks and rhino horns. And um, a lot of our animals in Africa end up for the traditional market in the Far East, traditional medicine market. So it's, it is the same global village. So when we do education and work on it, it, it spills over into everything else.
1: Sharon, you're obviously very passionate about it, and um, we're going to go into that same, as you mentioned, global village. But how did you fall in love with the Bengal timer?
0: Oh, I just, <laughs> I mean, I've always loved the, the animal. It was um, a friend who was working at Johannesburg Zoo about 15 years ago, um, and we went to visit, and, and if you've seen the exhibit they've got there, I was climbing on the wall to see over the wall at the section where the perspex is. And I didn't see that the tiger was actually next to me face to face through the gate when I was looking one way. And then my friend sort of hit my shoulder and I looked back the other way and we were face to face about 20 centimeters away from each other. Um, and we just eyeballed, if you know whether we just stared at each other for a long time, dead still. And um, I just fell in love and Cried and it was
1: that? Really, it was yeah. never sight. Um, literally, literally sight. Um, but not so much as It was a close, a close, encounter.
0: Close encounter with a <sighs> definite gate. <laughs> and I do. Uh, we do a lot of work with Laurie Park Sanctuary when we bring kids from schools there. And so I've had the wonderful privilege of of working closely with many of the tigers there, and um, bringing up the babies and whatnot. And we can talk about captivity versus the wild. um, So let's bring
1: it in, let's bring it in there because I think people do feel a sense of sadness when you see an animal encaged.
0: So there's a huge difference between the sanctuaries and zoos and enclosures that we talk about and even the ones that we have here, for example, at Laurie Park and the kind of zoos that we filmed in Vietnam, for example. I think people don 't realize that an animal like the tiger is for the most part for most of the breeds in the wild they are functionally extinct um, in other words they they ex- they are not extinct, but they aren 't actually enough to have a viable gene pool and to to grow properly and they're too clashing too much with villages and and people it 's not like a Kruger park that we have that 's closed off for them it's it 's very patchy. So without zo- responsible good zoos and sanctuaries and um breeding places that keep them. So Laurie Park, for example, has them, the tigers they are, on the International Stud Book. They're tracked, you know, for breeding. So when there is space or funding, um, they can breed. When there is a place in their rightful countries, there is actually a gene pool to work with at a later stage. Otherwise, we wouldn't actually have them, you know. So we're not talking about pets and having them as, you know, we don't want that. We're not talking about backyard breeding and the 5,000 tigers across the U.S., and most of which are not the international studybook we're talking about. We're talking about understanding what the wild situation looks like now and what purposes zoos and captivity should be serving now in terms of education.
1: Sharon... And- um, areas like Mpumalanga and Limpopo are dotted with sanctuaries for cheetahs, for chimpanzees, for for. Is it a viable option to have a sanctuary for Bengal tigers here in South Africa? Well, we don't have. It's not a sanctuary
0: for tigers. Laurie Park is a privately owned um, zoo sanctuary. A lot of the animals that came into there can't go back into the wild. Um, there's an argument about whether or not um, for the lioness, for example, who came in blind in one eye, should she have been left in the wild and, and become part of the food chain? Yes, she could. Should she be the partner for the lion there that she was partnered with? You know, there, there are all sorts of arguments around it. Um, but it's it's not a tiger. They're, they're prevented from breeding. They're essentially on the pill because there's no space or funding. They are. They're dotted with the, the hormones so that they don't fall pregnant because there's no sp- space, which is to me insane. Um but that's why my focus in terms of the wild tiger has been um I spent a lot of time in India and we work with Saving Tiger Society in India. Um right now the project that we've got going there with the attack dogs, the they're absolutely unbelievable. They provide a job to local villages and rural situations who clash with the tigers all the time. And they've caught a lot of poachers. They've caught a lot of, and a lot of people remember the people poaching, um, trafficking body parts of various animals and whatnot are poor. <laughs> they are desperate to feed their families. It's, there's a need to tackle the demand and the people actually doing it for the money, right? So, for example, lion bones are being trafficked quite a lot before shutdown especially, of course, but trafficked to replace tiger bone wine because tigers are so difficult to find now because there's so few left. So it is a global issue um, and it, it directly impacts
1: everybody. So it directly impacts everybody. It's a global issue. You said this. So it, if I'm understanding correctly, the same syndicate, use for a better word, is behind rhinos, is behind tigers, is behind lions. Is that correct? It's one syndicate. syndicate. It's the same market. There are many syndicates.
0: But it is the same market, and if you travel, excuse me, when our travel restrictions are lifted, um, what ordinary people can do is, especially those of us who go to Thailand and and holiday in all sorts of places in the Far East, um, it's to not go to Tiger Temple. It's to find out and and who you can support, who not to support. Is if you go on and is not to go on an elephant ride. It is we've never ever found one in the Far East that is. Okay. Or a good idea. It is not to get on a horse ride um, that I saw throughout um, Southeast Asia and India where the horse is not wanting to put one leg down. It's, it's just to notice these things. And if you do find something that looks dodgy, like I did, I found someone trying to sell a tiger claw. Um, it is very dangerous. So just report it to traffic, for example. So, so they will deal with the policing around that kind of thing do you trust the uh, those who are inf- enforced to stop the the trade De- not necessarily it depends on what country you're talking about and and where you're talking about so globalization doesn't bring good things necessary. um there's a lot of corruption of course and africa is a very very easy target for that which is Why we've got such a giant problem As you know with the rhino horn of course With tusks Lion bones and lion body parts To replace the Tiger body parts Pangolins um, All sorts of animals are And other resources Are being pillaged quite Easily from Africa To the east So education and protection Of the species in the wild is Directly related It's the demand
1: is there collaboration between the various, um, uh, animal protection societies? For example, your organization, do you work with Save the Rhino and similar? We haven't worked with Save the Rhino. Um,
0: I work with Tiger Awareness UK because they put most of the, most of the cash, <laughs> the, the pound goes much further than the rand in India, um, and saving tiger society in India. Um, but the actually there's a UN office on drugs and crime, um, whose job it is to tackle wildlife and forest crime, um, and to, you know, combat it. So they work closely with the corruption and economic crime branch of the UN. So there has to be from all the organisations there has to be pressure put on them. They do a lot of work in understanding patterns and trends of wildlife crimes across the world. Um, and the corruption as well from various governments and organizations linked to wildlife trafficking.
1: So it's quite, um, as you said, it's very global. Do you see, I mean, maybe as a result of COVID-19 and awareness around um animal trafficking, do you see an increased awareness and possibly something good coming out of it? Uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not
0: a pessimist really, but I I mean, just in general, the the wildlife crime industry globally is, before COVID, is a $23 billion industry, estimated, obviously. And we've seen enormous unemployment since. I mean, just Africa, people have been mugged just to get their dogs. So people walking their dogs are being mugged and the dogs are being stolen. Dog trafficking rings and all sorts of horrible uh, breeding and and terrible, terrible things. So I think with more desperation and unemployment, there is, if people can, there's more likelihood to do all sorts of crime, and that would include wildlife crime because first we need to make sure that the population is okay and safe, um, which is also the case in India. It's to what we're doing is working with the local communities that are, when, when I say a village, the, the village I stayed in, it's, it's 4,000 people and it's, it's very patchy and, and people are killed. The day I arrived there, a woman was killed by a tiger, um, when she was in the forest trying to get food. So it's, I don't think it's got any positive effect or direct effect on that specifically. Just people, if
1: people are more desperate, we have more problems. Sharon, yet you volunteer. I mean, you've painted a very bleak and, uh, an almost sadistic picture of what, what is happening out there. Uh, yet you are, take your free time and you volunteer towards the society, the race against extinction. You must have hope.
0: <laughs> I do. I do. And I've seen the dogs catching these poachers. Um, and when I've seen one of the forest guys in charge of one of the forests, um, in Vietnam, he was sharing with us, uh, the story of some of the poachers that he now works with to catch other poachers, um, which was right at the beginning of this journey of mine. So I was quite horrified because I was thinking, well, why don't you just kill him? <laughs> you know, I was so angry, but, uh, it took, it took a bit to find my, um, balance and forgiveness and, and uh, get off my high horse to not know what it is to be in a rural third world (laughs) country, trying to feed my family um, where the man was actually telling us that had he known um, how much that animal, that, that rhino, that Javan rhino, had he known how much it was actually worth on the market, he would have been able to feed his family for a very, very long time. Um, And then he understood how he's being taken advantage of. And he never, to him, it was just some animal in the forest. He didn't, have any concept of, of what it is. It's like to us, we're saying, no, don't eat that, eat a cow. But to him, he was, it, it was so far away from his reality to understand what we're talking about that it, it was truly heartbreaking. And to see him just learn it and then fight against it and earn less money from that, um, was quite enlightening for me <laughs> and brought some humility and, um, just the humanity of all of us working together on the same level. So I do, I do have
1: hope for that, I think. yeah. Sharon, what would you like ordinary South African citizens to do to help?
0: Well, for us, for us in terms of conserving the tiger and doing education, here when we bring rural schools to Laurie Park and they get, they get introduced to the animals and they meet the owl to understand it's not an evil omen and they meet the that <laughs> they meet these animals face to face. It has a huge impact. Um, and when we put money into India, um, it goes a very long way into the having the dogs there, having them catch the poachers, having them catch, find, wildlife body parts and and do the education in the schools there for us any any and all donations or any and all ways that we can raise funds for this is goes a very very far way
1: what is your next project
0: well we're focusing on the the dogs are a huge thing they're going really well so so we want to just increase that um, cause it is employing the people who are taking care of the dogs and it is involving the, the forestry department of the Indian government. So if that can strengthen and go throughout all of the various sanctuaries and safaris, as they call it there, <laughs> then that would go a long way. That, that's, we want to just improve on that.
1: How many Bengal tigers are there
0: at Lorry Park? Um, there are Bengal and Siberian tigers, both. Um, right now, I'm not sure, I think 12, if I'm not mistaken.
1: So people can still go and visit Lori Park, visit the tigers, see them, enjoy them, not pack them, not have a face-to-face encounter necessarily? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and in supporting Laurie Park, would we be supporting your organisation as well? You, when you support
0: our organisation, and we do education work there, yes. So our project in India is separate from Laurie Park.
1: Okay. Right. So Red Against Extinction is a separate entity. Sharon, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, or contribute, or learn more, what should they do?
0: You can go to raceagainstextinction.co.za and
1: find us there. Well, thank you very much for joining me. And really your passion for what you do is comes through, but it's not just the passion, it's the hard work and trauma that goes with it. And I don't doubt for a second that there's a lot of trauma that does go with it. So keep it up, keep up the hope, and keep up the good work. Sharon, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you so much, Sharice. Thank you.
1: That was Sharon Solomon who is the a founding member and director of the organization Race Against Extinction. Just before I say goodbye to you, let me tell you about the following. In case you didn't know, February the first was car insurance day, the perfect reminder to revalidate your current car insurance. SMS out to four zero two five one or call eight zero eight six hundred sixty thousand for a quote. And outsurance could save you money. If they can't, you can ask them for five hundred rand, or one thousand five hundred rand if you've be, if you've been claim free and with the same insurer for three years. That's out to four zero two five one or call zero eight six hundred sixty thousand, and let the celebrations begin. Outsurance is a licensed insurance insurer and FSP. T's and C's and standard rates apply. Free is miss. Thank you to all of you for joining me. A special thanks to BC Singer for producing the show. If there's anything on the show you'd like to comment on, you are always welcome to send me an email on sharice at shabd.org. Until next week, Shabbat Shalom.
0: Hi fm your station of choice since 2008.